You know, it's a rite of passage with the start of the new year. Not long if we've, after we've completed our New Year's Eve celebrations, the commercials start for exercise equipment, weight loss programs, and the newest diet fad. I'm sure that many of you, like me, are trying to figure out, okay, so what adjustments do I really need to make in 2021? Imagine a commercial that sounds like this. For only $19.99 a month, you can join the Dad Bod Diet. We'll send you a weekly plan for what you should eat. You'll receive emails every day to help you think differently about yourself. And you'll have access to a series of workout videos. We've launched this new diet community because dad bod guys need help. However, it's important for you to know that our diet isn't proven. Our emails are actually quite unhelpful and our fitness program is just too easy. Actually, if we're honest, the program doesn't work. We just want you to think it works for $19.99 a month. So who wants a program like that? No one. Why? Well, it should be obvious. The value of a diet or a fitness program is how it works. You're willing to pay $19.99 a month as long as it does something. On the other side of the equation, you know that when you found something that actually works, it's quite frankly amazing. When you've discovered something that actually helps you change, something that assists you in better relationships, something that creates greater togetherness in marriage, something that helps you to be free from an addiction, what do you do? You tell people, look, this works. I found something that actually makes a difference. I trust that you know that it's the same when it comes to your spiritual life. You're listening to this sermon today, and I would guess that the reason you're listening is because you're looking for something that works. I've got good news for you. Faith in Jesus Christ does work. The good news is good news because it creates new people. The good news is good news because it causes people to be born again, meaning a relationship with Jesus changes you from the inside out. And the reason why our mission as a church is igniting a passion to follow Jesus is because we believe at the very core of our being that lasting change happens when people put their trust in Christ. Or to summarize it in the kind of language that James uses, you could say it this way, faith works. It works. So this week continues a theme that we looked at last week in verses 14 to 17, where James is cautioning us about a belief system or a faith proposition that is only for show. And the signature text in this particular passage is the fact that James says in verse 26 that faith apart from works is dead. That's true. That's the negative way to say it. The positive way to say it is that the gospel actually makes you alive. So what I wanna to suggest to you today are three reasons why faith works. Three reasons faith works. They are, number one, that my beliefs and actions are linked together. That secondly, actions complete my beliefs. 
And third, that my spiritual life is meant to work. I'm trying to help you to personalize all of these with my, my, my. My beliefs and actions are linked. My actions complete my belief, and my spiritual life is meant to work. Here's the first one. Beliefs and actions are linked. James begins here rather theoretically. He wants us to understand that there should be no separation between faith and works. What you believe and what you do, they go together. In verse 18, he creates a hypothetical conversation. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. The idea of this conversation is of somebody who says, well, James, you have faith and I have works, as if those are two separate things, as if somebody were to view faith and works as two distinct gifts. One person has faith, one person has gifts, But James says, no, those aren't separate entities that there should be a division between, but rather there should be this direct linkage between belief and action. In fact, James will argue that if you disconnect faith and works, you actually got the power of both of them. And knowing that they go together, is really important because faith and works are central organ issues for what your spiritual life is all about. From a medical standpoint, if you were to hear that a friend was going to donate blood, you would cheer him on, good for you. If you knew or found out that he was going to donate a kidney, you'd pray for him, that's a serious step. If he told you he was going to donate his heart, you'd ask a lot of questions. You know only dead people do that, right? Why? Because the heart and life are absolutely linked together. You can't have one without the other. James is saying the same thing about faith and works. They are linked. In fact, he goes on and he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So the key words are apart and by. James says, you you think you could take faith and works and show that how these two things work together apart from one another? No, no, no. I will show you how they are linked together. And then he gives an illustration. This is a common strategy with James. He makes a point and then he illustrates it. He then, in verse 19, says, well, you believe that God is one, you do well. Now, for those of us who don't have a Jewish context, we would miss what James is doing here He's actually quoting a concept, a confessional statement that was central to the Jewish faith. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. It's called the Shema. It's a recitation of an Old Testament passage that Jews quoted about three times a day. The Lord our God is one, the Lord our God is one. So James is using this very familiar and very sacred phraseology, you say and believe that God is one, you do well, and then he turns it. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. If you're a Jewish audience receiving this letter, that, that hurts, like that's, that's a little close to the chest. Because what James is essentially saying, well, you, you believe that God is one, one, great job, even demons know that. You believe that God is the one true God. Wonderful, demons know that to be true. And the question under the question is this. So what's the difference between what you believe and what a demon believes? 
James is trying to help peel back this false dichotomy between belief and actions. They're they're so connected, says James, that if you remove them, if you disconnect them, if you separate them, you make them both void of their meaning. In other words, belief and actions have always been linked. Or think of it this way, the purpose of belief is to create action. If you don't do what you say that you believe, the question then is, do you really believe it? That's what James is getting to. This is not a new concept. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36 put it this way. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you, notice this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice that the whole promise of what's called the new covenant is a spirit-empowered obedience that now comes from the heart instead of something that's coming from the outside in. In the New Testament, it sounds like this. Famous text. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast for... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So what James is saying here is this, that belief and actions are gloriously linked. You can't separate them. Faith in Jesus is not only something that you believe, it's something that changes your life. And when these two things get terribly separated, when your life doesn't match what you believe, it's really problematic. This last week, evangelicalism was devastated with the news of egregious immoral conduct by Ravi Zacharias. I'm still trying to get my head around it, still trying to understand all of what happened still trying to figure out how to grieve and care for many of you that when you hear an announcement like that, it just brings back all kinds of memories because you've experienced sexual abuse at the hands of an authority figure and maybe even somebody who claimed to love Jesus. And there is something terribly disconcerting about that because it is terribly disconcerting. It should be. We should look at that and say, that that shouldn't be. And we should also look at that and say, that's a really important warning. A A moment of sobriety, a moment for us to be reminded that what we say and what we do really matter. Over the weekend, I received a text message from a guy that I mentored for some time He said this, hey bro, there are like two people I've worked with that if I were to find out that they were sinfully corrupt in a major way, I'd be thrown for a massive loop. You're one of them. Right now and for the next 15 minutes, I'm gonna pray for your life and doctrine and I'm not sure if this is the right way to say this, but I need you to be godly for the sake of my own faith, okay? 
I'm not sure who appreciated that text more, me or my wife. And this is what James is talking about. It doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. It doesn't mean that we ever never sin. But it does mean that the sum total of our lives and the sum total of what we believe, they're supposed to go together. They're linked. Secondly, the text tells us that my actions complete my belief. So it's not just that they're linked, it's actually that my actions demonstrate something significant about my belief. And and even more so, my actions actually serve to strengthen what I believe. Think of this negatively, a lack of action actually serves to invalidate or to weaken what I believe. Or, Or let me state this just very bluntly, if you don't obey what you say that you believe, it won't be long until you doubt if you really believe it. And at some level, that's not a bad thought to think. Do I believe this or not? Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? That word useless is a pretty pointed word. It means it's not functional, it's idle, it doesn't do anything. He's saying faith apart from works, it's just nothing. Skip ahead to verse 22. He says, you see that faith was active along with his work. So he's gonna talk here about Abraham. He's gonna use this example of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Verse 22 says his faith was active along with his work and faith was completed by his works. So it's not just that there's faith and works, it's that these, these works serve to complete or the word means to make mature or perfect. It's the same word that James uses in chapter one to refer to the effect of trials on your faith, that trials has an effect of proving that what you believe is real. In other words, our actions make our beliefs complete. What you believe reinforces, or rather, what you believe is reinforced by your actions. To make this point incredibly strong, James appeals then to Abraham. Verse 23, he says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. There's the the summary statement that relates to the moment when God in Genesis chapter 15 told Abraham, I'm gonna make you the father of many people even though you have no children. Abraham looked at the sky, saw the stars. God said, as many as those stars are, are that's what your descendants are gonna be like. Abraham believed God and in that belief, God counted that as righteousness for Abraham. But in Genesis 15, or Genesis 22 rather, God tests Abraham and that's what James has in mind When we look up verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So James knows very well that Genesis 15 is true, that Abraham was counted righteous. He's not saying that Genesis 22, the offering of Isaac on the altar, is more important than Genesis 15. He's saying that these two things go together, and James is merely looking at Genesis 22. Or think of this as, some people think that Paul 
faith alone saves, and James, you're justified by works, that they compete against each other. They don't. They're looking at the issue from two different vantage points, and they're trying to address two different problems. The Apostle Paul was trying to address people who are adding things to salvation, and James is trying to address people who are separating works from their salvation. They're addressing two different points, but they're actually addressing the same issue. Or as the reformers used to say, faith alone saves, but the kind of faith that saves is not alone. The first part of that sentence is Paul. The second half of that sentence is James. Faith alone saves, but the kind of faith that saves is not alone. So Abraham, he says, was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. That's James chapter 2 and verse 21. Here's what Genesis 22 says. God says to Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So his willingness to offer up his son validated the substance of Abraham's faith. His actions made his belief clear. His works confirmed the substance of what he believed. In that way, actions complete belief. Our actions verify that our belief is real. I'm married. If I don't treat my wife as though I love her, it's foolish for me to say that I love her. I mean, it makes sense. If a parent says they love their children, but they don't treat them in loving ways, that doesn't make sense. Those things need to go together. And this is really important as it relates to the issue of assurance. Many Christians think that assurance, meaning knowing that you're a Christian, comes merely from remembering what the gospel is and when we received it. Now, to be clear, remembering the gospel and remembering when we received it is vital to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but that is not all that assurance entails. You see, because there are some people who struggle with assurance because they feel a great disconnect between what they remember and know and what they actually do. Their lives do not match what they say that they believe, and candidly, they should feel that tension because Jesus came not just to save you from hell, he came to set you free now. Does that mean perfectly and in every way? Of course not. But friend, if your life trajectory and the way that you think and who you are is running this direction, when the gospel's running this direction, it doesn't matter what you know over here. If your life's over here, that's a problem. Because James is saying faith and works go together. The tragic irony is there will likely be millions of people utterly stunned when they wake up in the Christless eternity. What do you mean? They knew, but they didn't know. So if you're struggling with assurance, it may be because you know that your faith should work. Some of you may think I'm pushing this too far. Let me show you 1 John chapter two. 1 John's all about assurance. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to 
walk in the same manner in which he walked. Now again, I'm not suggesting some form of sinless perfectionism. I'm not trying to load up false guilt on you in any way. I am merely just trying to make the case that faith and works go together, and that should help you when you encounter a temptation this week for you to realize, look, if I believe, I need to turn from this. I can't say this, I can't act like this, I can't do this. If I believe this, I need to live like it. Or it may be that part of the problem for you, Christian, with your lack of assurance is actually a lack of obedience. You've not taken tangible steps that prove that you believe. And it's remarkable that when you begin to take steps of obedience, one after another, after another, after another, it reinforces that, oh, actually what I believe is true. In the same way, if you've ever had a relationship with somebody who you know that you love and you're supposed to love, but those feelings of love have begun to fade, for whatever reason, because of pain or bitterness or time or just flat out, flat out laziness, sometimes one of the best things you can simply do is to start acting in loving ways. And it's remarkable how those feelings, come, they re reassure your own heart. Yo, I actually do love this person because I've acted in a manner that fits with what that love is supposed to be like. So faith and works are not only linked, faith and works are so connected that our actions complete our belief. Here's the third thing, back to the central point of this text. My spiritual life was meant to work. The third reason that faith works is because God's designed it to be that way. Faith is not merely something that we understand. It's not merely a set of beliefs, things we think about. Faith does something. Jesus changes us. It affects you at the core of your being, at the essence of your identity in your thinking, your actions, your words. James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This goes back to that issue that I mentioned before where the Apostle Paul and James are not in competition here. They're just looking at the issue from very different perspectives. Paul is looking toward justification to establish what it means to put one's faith in Christ. James is looking backwards at justification to validate that that justification actually happened. He then uses the example of Rahab. Verse 25, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What's he saying here? He's saying that, that, that Rahab, because she received the spies, took this huge risk, was actually acting out of her core belief. Joshua chapter two tells us that Rahab confessed, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She believed that and that's why she hid the spies. James knows Joshua chapter two. He's not cutting that out as if that doesn't matter. He's saying that Rahab's faith was verified when she received the slaves and, or the, the spies. And if she hadn't received the spies, then the question would have been, was her belief even real? If she hadn't received the spies, she would have perished along with the whole city of Jericho. The point that James is making is summarized in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's the negative way to say it. Faith apart from works is dead. The positive way to say it that I want you to hear because of Jesus, faith Works, faith with works is alive. That's what James is arguing for. He's saying faith without works is dead. That's the bad part. The good part is that faith with works demonstrates that you are really alive. During our 
reading New 30 plan, I was in Hebrews 11, and I was struck by the hall of faith. You know, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, but I heard it differently. Listen to this, there's actions that come out of and are empowered by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. Do you see it? It's not just faith. Faith empowered something else. So just to have faith without works means you actually don't have faith because faith was meant to do something. It was meant to change you. You don't just receive Jesus. You receive Jesus to follow Jesus. Making disciples isn't just making people who believe. It's making people, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe. The power of the gospel is not just a set of truths that you believe. The power of the gospel is a life that's changed you forever. And that's when Christianity is compelling. Hebrews 11 reaches a climax point. Look at this text. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, listen to this, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. I mean, Paul goes on a riff of all the things that happened because of faith. And of these people, he said, these were those of whom the world is not worthy. So George, what kind of people, what kind of Christians would be characterized as the world was not worthy of them? Is it just people who believe? Just people who have theological truths? Just people who know how to communicate what the gospel is? Is it just people with a date in front of their Bible? Just people who've walked an aisle? Just people who've made a profession? Is that what the world isn't worthy of? No. It's people whose belief so got a hold of them that they stepped into a broken world and they obeyed in a way that shocked people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Whose relationship with Jesus so overwhelmed them that they lived lives that communicated the gospel not only in word but also in action. So Christian, may I speak with you? Friend, the offering of the gospel has more effect on your life than just determining your eternal destiny. Receiving Jesus is so much more than just providing entrance into heaven. It is that. But Christian, a relationship with Jesus transforms you. 
It means the gospel grabs your heart, it grabs your identity, and everything about you fundamentally changes. Not perfectly, not without fits and starts, but at the end of the day, the glorious news of the gospel is it works. Jesus changed my life. He changed my thinking, he changed my my heart, he changed what I love, he changed what I want. And so the question is then, what, what steps of obedience do you need to take? Not because you have to, but because you want to. And that's the scandal of the cross. Jesus doesn't lay burdens, he changes motive because he gets to the heart. Perhaps you need to be baptized. Proclaim the Lord's death by virtue of going in the waters of baptism. Maybe it's time that you join this church and kind of draw a line in the sand and say, I'm kind of done with self-rule. I want to be accountable and part of a community of believers. Maybe there's a prevailing sin in your life, and this sermon is a good motivation for you to put that thing in the crosshairs and get really serious about it. I want you to allow the possibility of the ways that Jesus could bring, rest, could bring restoration and healing in your life to something that's broken. And as you do, can I remind you, faith in Jesus works. And then a word to those of you who are not yet Christians, or to those of you who claim to be a Christian, but if you're honest, you know your life and what you believe, it just doesn't fit. Can I just remind you that God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He knows all about your junk, and he still loves you. And there is no way that you're gonna make your life work without him. Don't believe me? Just ask yourself, how's that gone so far? The fact of the matter is, is people who put their trust in Christ became so tired of themselves, weary of their own sin, that they ran to Jesus because they knew, I can't change me, I need someone else too. And why not have that happen right now, today, by simply acknowledging the Lord Jesus as your savior and saying, I want you to come, Jesus. I don't know all of what it means, but I want you to change me and I need your cleansing. Why not make today the day not only that you believe, but also the day that you're changed? Because here's what I know. When you receive Jesus, it will change you. Why? Because faith works. Oh, it works. It works to change you and transform you and rescue you and save you. Faith with works is alive. Lord Jesus, we are stunned at your grace to us, so undeserved, so gracious, so merciful, and we pray that as we just receive the word today that we would consider what it is that you're saying 
to both Christians and non-Christians today. So speak, we pray, Holy Spirit, right now. In the name of the resurrected King who changes lives, we pray.